I'm going to be preaching to you today from Malachi, and I will not make the Italian prophet joke because there's no way that Malachi, spelled the way it is, could ever be pronounced Malici in Italian since the H makes a hard C sound. So at best, it would be Malachi. Um, so just wanted to correct that. So if anyone gets up here and tries to make the Italian prophet joke, you can do the shake the head of judgment, feel free. The message of Malachi is as follows. God knows those who fear him and those who do not, and he desires his people to repent and turn back to him and Torah. If the people do not do as he desires, he will come with judgment as destruction on the people and on the land. They will incur the curses promised in the covenant. Malachi ends his book with a word of judgment. Utter destruction hangs in the balance if the people do not turn. For all intents and purposes, Malachi cries out, pay attention. He pleads with his audience, take heed, this is serious. Judgment is coming, Malachi shouts. The question that Malachi leaves us with at the very end of the book and the end of our Old Testament is, on whom will judgment fall? For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a, de a decree of utter destruction. Malachi 4, 1 through 6. The Israelites and their leaders have turned away from the Lord and his word, and they are guilty. But through the voice of this minor prophet, the last prophetic voice, God tries to call his people back to him. Turn or else. Israel is guilty and judgment is coming. When God comes, on whom will judgment fall? Have you ever been guilty and then had to wait for judgment to come? I have distinct memories as a young school-age kid waiting for my mom to get home from work before I received the consequence for getting into trouble earlier that day. I was a latchkey kid, and I would have to call my mom, or they would call me every time I got home, and they would ask me how my day was, but sometimes the call was, I heard about what you did, and just wait until I get home, and then I would spend the next three hours in utter panic, trying to figure out how I could avoid punishment, maybe escape. Um, but she always came home, and the consequence always um, occurred. Um, there's also being pulled over for when we know, when we know that we've been doing something wrong driving. Um, I was pulled over trying to get my kids to a swim lesson. I was late and I was, um, going fast and a cop pulled me over and he 
was wonderful. Um, and he, I rolled down my window, and as I'm getting my stuff out, I'm asking him about what system he uses to patrol the speed limit. And he said VASCAR. And I said, oh, I know that they kind of sometimes have some problems with actually getting accurate speed. And, you know, we're, I'm just jamming with him and, you know, getting my stuff out. And I was like, here you go. And he just laughed. And he said, you know, you're really, he's like, you're really cool about this. You know, I hate to give you a ticket. And so... Um, I was like, that's okay, you know, and so he goes back to his car, I'm waiting, my boys are in the back laughing hysterically, mommy got pulled over by a policeman, and um, uh, he comes back, and he just feels, he just looks so guilty, he looks so sad, and he said, I hate to do this to you, you've been so cool through this whole entire thing, I don't want to give you this ticket, and I see him holding it, and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like, I've got swim lessons, there's a reason why I was speeding, can I have my ticket? And um, he just wouldn't give it to me. So going back and forth, you know, it's okay. I'm trying to calm him down. Like, it's okay. You can give me the ticket. I, I'm, I'm guilty. And he just wouldn't do it. And so finally I said, listen, I study God's law. And I understand what the law can do. And the law, what the law does is the law convicts. The law condemns. The law says guilty or not guilty. And this law has told me that I'm guilty. And you, as a police officer upholding the law, are free to tell me that I'm guilty and give me my ticket. And then he sort of paused and he walked away from the car for a minute and I thought, oh, for sure he's going to get handcuffs and take me in, <laughs> which would be a better story for the kids. <laughs> um, and he looked at me and he said, um, he said, you have shown mercy to a brother in the Lord. And I was absolutely floored because that to me was not mercy begging for my ticket. Um, and then he, he wound up saying, just go ahead and plead, plead, plead not guilty. And I was confused, but I'm guilty. And he said, no, 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 trust me. We'll take care of this. I'll, I'll take care of it on my end. Um, but being pulled over when you know that you've been doing something wrong because you're trying to be a good mom and get your kids swimming lessons on time. Um, you see those flashing lights and it's guilt. You feel that, you feel that something's coming and you know you're guilty. It's not a good feeling. And so while these memories from my past are funny now, there are bigger issues that fall in line with the message of Malachi in specific and more widely the general tenor of the major and minor prophets, the utter failure of God's people to uphold God's law. What I mean by failure to uphold God's law is our failure to live according to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your, on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It's also failure to uphold this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19. To love your neighbor as yourself is of as equal importance as loving the Lord God with your whole self. Jesus says, when asked about the greatest commandment, he says, love the Lord your God. And then he says, and like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Thus, it can be deduced that to love God according to the scripture and to the word himself is to also love your neighbor. But who is Israel's neighbor? The you shall love your neighbor as yourself of Leviticus 19.18b, it's a very specific little verse, doesn't exist in a vacuum. According to the whole of Leviticus 19, to love your neighbor is to love other humans and not just in theory or in sentiment, but in actual practice. Do not reap to the edges of your field during harvest or gather the gleanings. Leave them for the poor and the alien. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. 
Do not steal from or deal falsely with one another, Leviticus 19.11. Do not defraud or steal from your neighbor, Leviticus 19.13. Care for those who are blind and deaf, Leviticus 19.14. Be not unjust in your judgments. Judge your neighbor justly without preferential treatment, Leviticus 19.15. Do not slander and do not profit from another's blood, Leviticus 19.16. Do not hate your kin in your heart and do not seek vengeance or hold grudges. Leviticus 19.17-18. through 18. The neighbor is broadly defined in this portion of Leviticus and elsewhere in the Old Testament as all other human beings. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh extends beyond the garden of Genesis 2 and envelops all of humanity, not in a blanket of similarity, but in unity with diversity. Love God and love as yourself those whom God loves, the poor, the lame, the sick, the oppressed, the refugee, the stranger, the kinsman. According to the prophets, both major and minor, the Israelites repeatedly failed to do so, and this judgment of failure isn't restricted to the leadership and authority of Israel, though certainly they are often in focus as the leaders lead, the people follow suit. The burden of failure is also on the people of Israel. Consider what the prophet Micah says. The faithful have disappeared from the land, and there is no one left who is upright. They all lie in wait for blood, and they hunt each other with nets. Their hands are skilled to do evil. The official and the judge ask for a bribe. The powerful dictate what they desire. Thus, they pervert justice. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them, the thorn hedge. The day of their sentinels of their punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a friend, have no confidence in a loved one. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your embrace. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies are members of your own household. The end result of hearts that have hardened toward God are hearts that have also hardened toward the neighbor. The oracles of judgment nearly always incorporate both. Thus, in turning away from God and his statutes, the word, is also a turning away from the neighbor. And this is no slight trespass. This problem of turning from God and turning away from the neighbor is not an issue that is unique to the Israelites. We are implicated in this judgment, too, for our default postures towards ourself. We are, as Martin Luther describes in Carvatus and Say, we are curved in on ourselves. We do not love God and we do not love our neighbor as ourselves. Far from being an excuse, it's a problem. It's a problem that needs not only to be addressed and acknowledged, it actually needs to be corrected. And before it seems as if I'm pointing and wagging my finger at you, let me confess that I am guilty. I am guilty of choosing myself and my comfort over and against that of my neighbor. I have remained silent when a voice was needed. I have slipped to the background when my presence in the front line would have made a difference. I have professed love of God and then turned a blind eye to the turmoil, oppression, and suffering of my neighbor. For this I am guilty and judgment comes. Judgment comes not in the form of red and blue lights in my rearview mirror or from a phone call by my mother. Judgment comes from God and I am guilty. We are guilty. And Malachi asks, Israel, you are guilty. On whom will judgment fall? Malachi's question should catch our hearts and our breath. Israel is guilty and we are guilty, but there's hope. There's hope even in this terrible guilt and falling short. The last part of verse 6 promises that a messenger will come, that apart from this messenger, all hope is lost. 
One scholar writes about verse 6 that it suggests the annihilation of the land of Judah with its people unless the Lord sends his messenger to change the hearts of his people. He will come to destroy them. For unless one comes to change the hearts of the Israelites, to change our hearts, we are all hopeless and deserving to be cursed and to incur the curses promised in the covenant. The messenger has to come because we're impotent to change our hard hearts. The messenger has to come because we cannot fulfill our end of the covenant. We are, in fact, miserable, miserable sinners needing a cure, needing to be healed by the one who is pure of heart and righteous and humble in his walk. We are in a desperate way and are lost apart from the one who can actually follow the requirements laid out for the people of God as stated in Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? On whom will, on whom will fall the judgment Malachi prophesies? On Christ, in the event of the cross and resurrection. For in this event, we hear the proclamation that judgment has fallen not on us, but on Christ and the cross. In his resurrection, we are reconciled to God and to our neighbor. As St. Paul writes in Romans 4.25, Christ was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. And it is this event of justification that is the unifying event between our neighbor and us. We do not need to go back to the event of creation to develop a reason to love our neighbor as ourselves, for the ties that bind are in the event of recreation, of justification by faith. For this event is true for our neighbor and thus true for us, and in, in this social event, we are reunited to our neighbor in an intimate way. In the event of Christ's death and resurrection, we are not only oriented toward, but are joined and bound to our neighbor. Just as Jesus suffered as his people were being persecuted by Saul in Acts 9, so too do we suffer when our neighbor suffers. It is at Easter that the sun rises with healing in his wings. It is at Easter that we go out leaping like calves from the stall in new and resurrected life. Malachi 4.2, we go out leaping we go out leaping because, as St. Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We go out leaping because we have been reconciled to God by faith in Christ, and we are free from the promised condemnation and judgment prophesied by Malachi. But we also go out leaping because the resurrected life can't be held back. Because the power of the gospel is dynamic, it's not static. And this resurrected life is marked by the fulfillment of the law spoken above. We love the Lord God with all our power, might, strength, and soul, but not only vertically, but also horizontally. In that we love the Lord God, we are driven to love our neighbor as ourselves, to speak for those who need a voice, to resist oppression, to create space for the alien and the refugee, to fight for freedom for all, for all because if our neighbor isn't free, we're not free. Our neighbor's pain is our pain. Our neighbor's plight is our plight. Our neighbor's suffering is our suffering. We go out leaping because, we, because love knows not how to do anything else but to go forth into the world in an active and dynamic way. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. 
God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loves us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Go forth out into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.